And the more you love yourself and trust yourself, the more you will achieve. But we feel like, well, no, I have to be harder on myself. I have to work harder. I have to, you know, you have to like do this sort of game in order to achieve your ambition. When really, if you can let go and trust yourself enough and create space to really lean into what is beautiful about your dreams and what you're excited about, that's how you actually really start to move forward from a place that's authentic to you and that is meaningful in whatever line of work you're in. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Jess. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a coach for women in the nine to five world. And I have such a good conversation for you today. It's so raw and just very honest. And today's is exciting. This interview is exciting because we talk about things that I haven't really talked much about on the show. So today's guest, Hannah, is a dear friend of mine. She is such a gem. And I invited her on because her presence and her warmth and her authenticity were so magnetic to me. And I had a really strong feeling that it would be the same for you. So I'm so excited for you to meet her. Hannah is a parent coach. And it was really important for me to bring her on the show because I know a lot of you have kids. In fact, I think most of you, the majority of you who listen to this show, I believe, are parents or moms moms or are thinking of becoming parents or moms. And I don't have kids. And I really want to be able to have that conversation more with you and talk about, you know, confidence and talk about your professional life and having enough time and all of those things from the angle of having kids and from the angle of motherhood. If you are not a mom, though, or if you are a mom, either way, there's so much other good stuff in this episode. When I was thinking about my interview with Hannah, I was like, okay, I want to talk about the inner critic because I just knew she would have amazing things to share about like the inner critic, that mean inner voice inside of us that makes us feel awful. We talk about being kind to yourself and self-love, although you'll hear like, I don't love the term self-love. I think about it more as just like kindness to self. We talk a lot about that. She talks about becoming a mom, the challenges of becoming a mom, the things she's learned. We talk about body image. We hit on so many important topics in this interview. I am really excited for you to listen and hear us get into it and meet Hannah and get to know her. I think you will fall in love with her just as I did when I first met her and started to get to know her. If you are new here, by the way, please come say hi to me. I have a private Facebook group, and if you join the group, you can meet other women who listen to the show, and I'm going to start popping in there now and again to share trainings and help and advice for you. I have three trainings in the Facebook group on stage fright, a topic that I'm super familiar with because I have struggled with it for a very long time. And I share with you in there everything that I've learned that has really helped me manage it as best I can and just get past some of the fears and some of the shame and all of the things that come along with it. Anyway, 
Moral of the story, I'm going to link the Facebook group in the show notes. Please come say hello and join that community. And with that, I'm going to cut into today's interview with Hannah. I hope you enjoy, and I'll catch you at the end. All right, well, hi, thanks for having me. My name's Hannah Rudnick. I am a parent empowerment coach. I'm based in LA, born and raised here. I have a master's in social work. I have a background, a clinical background in therapy, though I'm not doing therapy anymore. And I used to work a lot with young women, young mothers, um, doing counseling and therapy. And many years ago, a few years ago, (laughs) I got pregnant with my daughter, my oldest, and decided to take like a year off (laughs) to have the baby. And I was doing really intense therapy work with teen parents, and I needed to kind of step away from my health, mental and physical health while I was pregnant. And then, you know, a year turned to two, and then I had another baby, (laughs) my son. And then before you know it, I was just like a professional stay-at-home mom. And then a few years ago, I just was had that itch. I love working with people, and I missed it. And I was starting to feel kind of like, I don't want to just do the stay-at-home mom thing anymore. Just this. I need something else. And I felt that. So I kind of looked into getting back to work, and coaching just kept popping up in the way that the universe will do, just like kept poking me and giving me signs. And so I started coaching and here I am. That is such a good story. And I love that you talked about getting poked because I think we all need to learn to get better at noticing when the universe is poking us. Because once you start to notice, it's very helpful. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like the more I listen to it, the more I feel like I'm going in the right direction. Did you ever have troubles trusting it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think I'm a natural overthinker. And a natural perfectionist, I call myself a recovering perfectionist and a recovering people pleaser. Um, but I, I think I do tend to overthink things and the less I overthink and the more I just kind of like settle into myself and really listen to the voice inside myself, universe, whatever you want to call it. Cause I feel like they're very similar. The more confident I feel in my decisions and the more I have felt like I've moved in the right direction. That resonates with me so deeply. And I think it's so fascinating how our brains really think that the more that they think something through and analyze something, like they are totally convinced that they're helping us. And (laughs) it's like the second you turn that off, everything goes better. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and not to say that our intellectual brains aren't important because they are. And I love a good list and a good plan. But if you do that and ignore that inner voice, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, I agree. It can be really hard for those of us who lean analytical and get Mm -hmm. stuck in our heads. And I think I talk about this a lot on the show, too. And I'd be curious to get your perspective. It's sort of like the similar leap that you make mentally when you're doing something scary, where you're like, okay, my body's telling me like not to speak up or not to do the thing, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Sometimes trusting intuition feels the same for me. It's like, I don't really have so much evidence. And this feels a little awful to follow it. But I also know that I should. Absolutely. I when I was pregnant with my second, I had a C-section with my first. And after you have a C-section, you can try to have what's called a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean, or you can schedule a cesarean. And there's a lot of opinions. Everyone has opinions about how you should give birth to your baby. And um, I had used to have a lot of opinions about that before I birthed babies. (laughs) And um, I had to make a decision about if I was going to have a C-section or try for a VBAC. And I knew every like 
everyone would say. And I knew I did all the research because I love research. And at the end of the day, all I could do was listen to myself. And it was really, really scary to make that decision. But I decided to have a C-section. And during my C-section, my doctor was telling the other doctor, because they love to talk to each other like you're not there. Um, she said, oh, I'm so glad I didn't push her into a VBAC. It never would have worked. And so I felt like, oh, yeah, okay. I listened to myself. I was right. The universe was right. That sounds like a very big and scary decision from what you're describing. It was. But, you know, all parenting and birthing decisions are kind of big and scary. And the more you make them, the more you kind of get used to making them, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. You just practice exercising the muscle. So we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about the inner critic. We're going to talk about being kind and loving to ourselves. And we're going to talk about becoming a mom and some of the challenges there. Let's talk about becoming a mom first, because we're sort of hearing a little bit of your story. What was hardest for you identity-wise when you had your first kid? I love that you're asking this question because one of the things that was really hard was coming to terms with my new identity, right? So I had been a student achiever, president of my class type of person, and then I stopped working (laughs) and went into being a full-time mom. And in my mind, before I had kids, I was going to be the best mom ever, perfect mom, And I had a really kind of difficult relationship with my mother and didn't really have her to talk to through it, which I know is like really important for a lot of new moms. And I felt kind of alone. And so I I really had to think about, okay, what is this going to mean to me becoming a mother when I didn't have the exact kind of model that I wanted to have? And so it was a huge, huge shift from being this overachiever to jumping into this job that I didn't know anything about, really. And you don't get grades or feedback except for crying and pooping and everybody's opinions. (laughs) So it's a huge identity shift to go from like being in control of your life, being in control of your work output and everything you do to like being in the situation where you're just on a ride and you have to listen mostly just listen to your gut and trust yourself. That's so fascinating. So for someone who is relating to that and is kind of feeling the heavy burden of that transition and is in the process of learning to trust themselves to just move through it like one step at a time, what do you think is most important for that person to know? I think the thing that's most important for that person to know is that they really should trust themselves. We are the outcome of thousands and thousands of years of evolution and and have been parenting and mothering throughout that. And we have instincts that are really important. And, you know, part of the problem is people are throwing advice at you all the time and it's all contradictory. So bed share, don't bed share, breastfeed, don't breastfeed. I mean, it's just like, so you you have to learn to trust yourself. And in order to trust yourself, you have to take care of yourself because you can't listen to a voice that's exhausted and burnt out. So the two things I would say is trust yourself and stand up for your needs and remember that your needs are important too. That makes so much sense. And something that fascinates me about that topic and like some of what you were just saying is it's like you're not only becoming a mom and there's this other person, but you're your body has become something different than it was before and you're relating to your physical body in a whole new way. And I rarely hear, I only hear it talked about in a very fat phobic kind of like lose the pregnancy weight kind of way. I rarely hear it talk about, like talked about at a deeper level 
of like, what are you really feeling when the functionality of your body is like there for someone else? And like that just I mean, I've never experienced it. So I only have like my thoughts about it. But I just curious to hear all of your thoughts. Well, you know, it's interesting because I did not have I know there are women who love being pregnant. And it's a really beautiful, magical experience. That was not my experience. I did not enjoy it either time. I love feeling the baby kick. Uh, and I love maternity pants, but besides that, I was not a fan. Um, because this like little succubus creature takes <laughs> over your body and changes it forever. I mean, a weird stuff happens while you're pregnant. My armpits turn purple. No purple. one ever told. Yeah, they're just purple, like maroon. The skin, so some of your skin changes, like your hair changes. Everything changes. Your body is going through a transformation, and you know they talk about like metaphors with the baby being like a in a cocoon and like you're the cocoon and the cocoon changes too the baby doesn't just change the cocoon changes <laughs> and I think it's one of those things where women are taught not to trust their bodies and not to love their bodies especially an expanding body right especially a body that takes up more space we're supposed to take up a teeny tiny amount of space as little space as possible we're supposed to fit into some idea I mean Every time I see people posting these before and after photos of their like post baby, it makes me so sad. Because so I think of all the things that we have to deal with after we have babies, having to shed weight when, particularly if you're breastfeeding, your body is going to hold on to your body is holding on to weight on purpose because you need fat to produce milk. <laughs> it's really sad. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, learning to think. I started thanking my body. And, and thanking it for the work that it was doing and giving it love because it's been through a rough time. It's been through a rough time. You know, I got opened up twice <laughs> and I breastfed both my kids for two years each. And, you know, my body's been through it. <laughs> and so I give it a lot of love and a lot of grace and thanks. But yeah, for a few years, you kind of give your body up a little bit in some ways that can feel a little dehumanizing. I can imagine. It's so interesting what you said about thanking your body. Because one thing I was thinking about yesterday is how sometimes going into that space of kindness and that feeling channeled towards us, like thank you body or like being nice to yourself. I have this huge realization that that can feel profoundly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And like this will get us into like self-love and the inner critic. But I was thinking about how like, okay, the inner critic's always telling us these like mean, horrible things about ourselves that aren't true, but sometimes we believe it and we like believe it's lies. And it's not just like noticing it and stopping it and, you know, trying to decide how you want to think about yourself. But I actually realized there's discomfort in actually going into that place of like, it's the same energy of like what you were saying, I think of appreciating your body. And I'm just curious if that's been your experience or what your thoughts are on that. Oh, 100%. That's such a really good point. You know, women are raised to hate our bodies and to always to see lack and to see where we could be better because there are multi-billion dollar industries that survive off of our self-hatred, right? So it's like learning to walk backwards. We have been taught to walk forward our whole life and walking forward means hating our bodies so that um, we focus on improving our bodies rather than improving our lot in life, right? So it can feel really weird to walk backwards. It feels really weird to do something that you were trained not to do, you know? And so 
when I first started looking in the mirror and, and saying thank you to my body, I actually did it with my daughter. It wasn't until after I had kids and I do it with my daughter because I don't want her to experience the pain that I have experienced. I've had tons of body image issues and, and you know, I'm a curvy lady and I have always been no matter what weight I'm at. And it wasn't, it hasn't been until my mid thirties that I've really gotten to a place where I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't mess with that diet culture anymore. I don't mess with hating my body anymore. And it's taken like active work and trying to lean into that discomfort. And now it feels so good. If I pass myself in the mirror and I have one of those automatic like critical thoughts, I can easily throw love at my body now. But at first it was really uncomfortable and it was only very classic woman trained thing to do is only in trying to help my daughter do that and, and create a sense of love and gratitude to her body as she grows that I was able to really do it for myself. So I had to kind of fake it till I make it kind of thing. That's so helpful. And I think it doesn't get talked about. I mean, I haven't talked about body image that much on this show because I'm always so focused on the corporate space and like that nine to five world. And I just love talking about that. But first of all, it's like such a universal thing that Mm -hmm. I know that it's something so many people will relate to. But I also do believe that our overall confidence and sense of self is all interconnected. Absolutely. So like, I, if you're trying to get to the most confident version of you, that's also like, there's, it's sort of like, I think about it as you're kind of like battling all the different skeletons in your closet. And one of them is your body, and how you relate to your body and what you think about it. And it's, it's so unfortunate that not only do we have all of these horribly toxic, poisonous messages about our bodies, but it's so mainstream, that it's so easy to forget. Like, I forget that fat positivity and health at every size and all of these things, they are not mainstream. So like, they're mainstream for me in my newsfeed. But then I'll see some like diety thing. And I'll be like, Oh, my gosh, like the, the world is still like, we still think that it's correct. And it's like a universal truth that our bodies should look smaller and should look this way and should be this shape. And it is deeply upsetting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's so important what you said about how one thing affects something else in our lives. So if you want to go into work and be confident, but you start the day looking in the mirror and putting yourself down, right? And your inner critic starts yelling at you about how you should have worked out and, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that thing. And look at that. These clothes don't fit right. And you have one of those mornings where nothing feels like it fits right and you hate yourself. How are you going to go into work feeling confident, like have a really good day? You know, it's... It's just like if you have a cold, it's hard to function right. If your brain is infected with self-hatred, it's really hard to function well, you know. But when you, if you can start a day giving yourself love and, and giving your body gratitude and, and building yourself up, it's going to affect your day because of the way the mind works, right? Our thoughts impact our emotions. Our emotions impact our behavior. Our behavior impacts our experience. And then our experience impacts our thoughts. And it's this circle, right? And if we start, if we are intentional about starting with really positive thoughts. It affects all of that and then keeps affecting it because it's so cyclical. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I feel like it can show up in less obvious ways too. So for me, sometimes that negativity, like about who I am, how I look, whatever it Mm -hmm. is, like whatever it is on any given day is showing up as like, trying too hard, trying to control everything, trying to be perfect, right? So for me, it rarely shows up as like the under performance. And it's often in the other 
the other category. And I think that's so tricky because, you know, we do have ambitions and goals and dreams and we want to be proud of what we do. And I think this is like one of our biggest challenges and our biggest callings is to figure out like, how do we hold our ambition in one hand? And then in the other hand, how do we hold this, you know, like this love and this forgiveness and this flexibility and have both of those things occupy space in our lives. I mean, it's so interesting that we consider them separate, right? That somehow ambition is self-critical and you have to push yourself. Like ambition is net and like comes from like a negative place, whereas love, it's, but they can, they actually go perfectly together, right? Because if you are ambitious, which again, for women is sometimes not seen as a positive thing, but for men it is. But if you are ambitious, that means you have dreams and goals and passions that you want to achieve, right? And the more you love yourself and trust yourself, the more you will achieve, right? But we feel like, well, no, I have to be harder on myself. I have to work harder. I have to, you know, you have to like do this sort of game in order to achieve your ambition. When really, if you can let go and trust yourself enough, and create space to really lean into what feels really good and what is beautiful about your dreams and what you're excited about, right? That's how you actually really start to move forward from a place that's authentic to you. And that is meaningful in whatever line of work you're in. I love that so much thinking of them as together. And do you want to go deeper into the inner critic and talk about your inner critic and inner critics in general? So what is the inner critic? Well, okay, so the inner critic is just that voice, right? It's that voice that puts you down, says all the worst things that you could possibly think about you. It's the voice of, you know, the teacher that you had in the fifth grade who didn't think you were were writing well or, you know, your parent or cousin or whoever, whoever put you down growing up, right? It's the voice of patriarchy, of racism, anything that is internalized, that you're getting from the outside world that you've accepted into yourself and internalized, not know, not knowingly, right? Subconsciously. So, you know, when you do a good job, the inner critic says, meh, could have done better, right? Or if you, something goes wrong, you're like, yeah, obviously it went wrong. That's because you always mess things up. So great job, right? So yeah, it's that voice that just makes you feel like crap no matter what's going on. So have you named your aunt? So we've like sort of started to talk about this in our sessions together. Have you, just to explain to everyone that you and I are in the same coach training and we've coached each other, right? Yes. So we've, that basically means we've gone in each other's brains yes. into the dark crevices. So I'm aware that you've named your inner critic. You've possibly yes. named it Jessica. Okay, I have renamed my inner critic. <laughs> I'm not offended. I promise you, I'm not offended. So it's so funny because there was a mean girl in my elementary school named Jessica who was mean to me, right? So when I was naming my critic inner critic years ago, mostly to deal with body image stuff and uh, mom self-judgment, I named her Jessica. And then we had a session together and I realized like your name is Jessica and I was talking about the inner critic and telling you that my inner critic's name is Jessica. So I, it made me think, one, you're not the only awesome Jessica that I know. I know a couple awesome Jessicas. And two, I don't like that my inner critic has an only female name. So I changed my inner critic's name to Randy. And I apologize <laughs> to any Randys who are listening. I'm sure you're really great. But I feel like Randy is gender neutral. Okay. So I have known male and female Randy's and it's just kind of a fun name to tell to shut up, 
It's like, shut up, Randy. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is a really good one. So, yes, I have na- I have renamed <laughs> thanks to you. A, my, my inner critic is now Randy. I felt bad because you seemed a little like maybe you thought that I was offended that it was no, named I Jessica. No, it literally just happened in my brain. Like I'm telling her that my inner critic's name is Jessica. I did not think you'd be offended. I just thought it was hilarious. It was really, really funny. But I love that you shared that because I think naming something creates this separate identity, which I think is so important for helping us be kinder to ourselves. So how has naming it served you? And how can someone start to think about naming their inner critic? Well, I mean, what you said is so important, because a lot of times we don't think of it as an inner critic, we don't think of it as something we think of it as us and we think of it as the truth. Like my brain's just reminding me the truth that I suck. (laughs) Um, And that's actually not true. And so creating a name and an identity for this creature that lives in your brain Uh, separates it from you and makes you realize like this is just a voice I'm choosing to listen to just like there are people in our life that are critical that we can choose to listen to or not right Um, so it creates that distance between you and that voice so you can actually tell it to be quiet or or interact with it in a way that's beneficial to you yeah and I'd be curious your thoughts on this but one thing that I would want to share because sometimes these things are easier said than done Mm -hmm. and you can hear someone say like oh just create the distance but then it can be like kind of hard to actually do that is for me that requires work yes emotional work dedication patience and what's even more challenging and I've seen this with other people too is then Randy starts to comment on how you're doing a really bad job at separating from Randy. <laughs> yeah, you see, you can't even you can't even do this right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then it becomes this thing, but that can also help too because then it's also ridiculous at certain points. Like I don't know if you get to points where you're like the ridiculousness level is so high <laughs> that this is starting to be funny. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's why right? And coaching steps are important, right? It's always don't try to jump to from naming your inner critic to always being able to tell it to go away or always being able to ignore it or always being able to understand it, right? That's not realistic. For me, the first thing you do is you just start to notice. You don't even try to tell it to be quiet. You don't even try to get rid of it. You just start to notice where it's popping up and how it feels. And actually, notice when you're feeling. So in a situation where you're starting to feel a lot of self-doubt, you're starting to feel really bad about yourself, then you say, hey, okay, my job right now, my homework, whatever it is, is to just sit and pay attention. What are the things I'm telling myself right now? And then say, oh, that's Randy, right? And that's it. You don't have to tell Randy anything, you don't have to do any, just notice. Noticing for me is always the first step in almost anything. And once you start to notice it, then you can move into action toward it. But if you don't know when it's happening and you can't kind of tease that out, you can't really move to the next step. And speaking of the next step, do you have different ways you talk to Randy or do you have one preferred way? I have different ways. So I have my my quick and easy is just saying shut up, Randy. And I know it's rude (laughs) to say shut up, but he's being he or she is being rude. So they are being rude, I should say. So if I especially when I used to deal with a lot of body image stuff. And I still, I mean, I still exist in this world. So <laughs> I um, I still, if I look in the mirror and, and Randy says something rude about my body, I'm like, shut up, Randy. Like, I love my body, right? But there are other times if I'm having a hard time, especially with mom stuff, 
because there's a lot of criticism out in the world towards moms and we internalize that a ton. I will be like, Randy, I know that this is what you were raised to believe. And I know it's really hard for you, but I don't believe that anymore, you know, and I can kind of try to have empathy for Randy, right? Because Randy is living off of an old playbook that doesn't serve Randy and definitely doesn't serve me. So I think it also just kind of depends on what works for you. For some people, you know, beating Randy up and telling Randy to shut up feels really good. And for some people that doesn't feel good. And it feels good to have empathy and be kind and understanding toward their inner critic. Uh, And I think both can be really helpful. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Does your perspective differ, like from being a therapist and now being a coach? Is are most of your understandings of the inner critic similar or has it evolved? And is it like different in those two worlds? Um, I don't think it's that different. I think, you know, in therapy, you would spend a lot of time really trying to understand the root of the criticism. And I always find the reasons for things very fascinating. And I think it's really, really valuable, particularly if you've experienced any kind of trauma trauma can can really create a lot of self-doubt and a lot of 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 self-criticism and a lot of um, just pain in general and those are things you really have to to explore in therapy and not in coaching so in coaching we don't really do a lot of getting to the root of things we do we focus on okay what where is it that you want to go and what's an obstacle to getting there right and a huge percentage of the time self-doubt inner criticism right? False narratives about ourselves. Those are all the huge part of the obstacle that we're trying to get to. So in coaching, it's really about, oh, this inner critic is an obstacle for you. How are we going to address it so that you can move forward and get to where you want to go? That makes a lot of sense. And speaking of the inner critic and moving into the idea of self-love, and I've also been thinking a lot about the word kindness, because sometimes my brain just rejects the phrase self-love because it's like, just because it's so commercialized right now and it's so watered down, my brain doesn't reject the word kindness. But either way, I think they're the same exact thing. Tell me your thoughts on that. And then we can talk about like how to practice it in small ways. Well, I think, you know, I talk a lot about how we're socialized as women, right? I am an empowerment coach for parents, mostly moms, and I come from a feminist perspective. And I see a lot how we are socialized to give and to nurture and to be of service to others. And also, as we've talked about, right, for our body to be of service to others and to be pleasing. And we're socialized that to understand that love and affection is a result of those things. And so we earn love by being loving. We earn love by serving and by taking care of and by being a certain way. And it's really hard then when you're sort of hardwired to feel like you have to do, do, do in order to achieve love, to just sit in it and give it to yourself based on nothing more than the fact that you are human and you deserve it, right? I think so many women, if you would ask them, do you think human beings are worthy and deserving of love no matter what? They would say, well, of course. And then you say, do you think you are worthy and deserving of love no matter what? And they're like, that one's harder, right? You are a human being. And so I think, you know, it sounds easy. Just love yourself, you know, be kind to yourself. But we are not trained to do that, right? We're trained to do and give. And so just sitting in love for ourselves is really, really uncomfortable. 
I agree. And I think one thing that kind of annoys me a little bit is there's so I see like a lot of emphasis on the interwebs and stuff on all the actions that you take to love yourself, which is fine. I think that's part of it. But I mean, for me, a lot of times it comes down to when I'm feeling really, really bad. That's like the biggest window and the most important window in for me is when I'm feeling awful and what I decide to do and say to myself in those moments. And it like even if it is a behavior that you do or an action that you do, for me, it's what you're thinking, you know, of why you did it. And like, if you really have the energy of caring for yourself and allowing yourself to experience pleasure, right? It's Mm -hmm. like those motives that for me are really what it's about doesn't really matter exactly what you're doing. Well, I think that's a really good point, right? Because it's not always about what you do. It's about what the intention is behind it. And then why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Right? You know, I used to think life was about achieving something. I I was not sure exactly what that was. I was going to be the best mom because I had a hard time with my mom. I was going to be, I was going to have like a stable life because I had a really unstable, difficult childhood, right? And then at a certain point, I realized like, actually, I just really want to enjoy my life. (laughs) I just really want to be myself and be free of trying to prove things to people and trying and just like feeling like I'm running uphill trying to get to something and it's not getting any closer. And I think when we move from a place of what I'm trying to do is live a life that feels really good to me and I feel like I'm in integrity with myself and I feel like I'm doing what feels right to me, then it's kind of easier to do something like love yourself because it's like, well, does it feel right and within my integrity to be kind to myself? Or does it feel right and within my integrity to cut myself down? Yeah. And I think it requires practice of having these moments of asking that question over and over and learning, learning how to get to the answer and learning what that feels like. Yeah. I mean, think about like for the first time you drove a car, how awkward that was, you know? I mean, especially like if your parents and they're yelling at you while you're trying to do it, but (laughs) you're, you're trying to, and I learned how to drive stick, right? So it's just like, you're trying to do all these things at once. And then now, many years later, like you don't even think about it. You just do it. You, you, you'll you get somewhere and be like, I don't remember one driving thing that I did to get here. And yet here I am. And it's the same thing. It takes practice. Rewiring your brain is not easy, but it's possible. Mm-hmm. It is possible. And I think it's so important to just be able to believe in something that you can't see yet. And I like I think that does get to a lot of the essence of like what coaching is and I also think what it means to actually be a coach and be living what it means of being being willing to move forward, be uncomfortable and do all the things without the proof or the result yet. And like that for me that's everything. Absolutely, and I think both for you know, I mean, it's always been easy for me to see the potential and the worth and the just amazingness of my clients and the people I work with and my friends and the people around me. It's really been a much bigger struggle to see that in myself. Um, but it's also been the best thing I've ever done for myself. And coaching is a part of that, right? I love doing it. It makes me come alive. When I get out of a coaching session, I'm just like zinging with energy because I feel so good. And leaning into that has made me a happier, like more alive person because I lean into the things that my body and my spirit tells me bring me joy and 
make me feel good about myself, you know? And as coaches, right, we just, once you feel that, you just want it for everybody and you want to help everybody get there. Yeah. It's like, I need to tell you that you can do anything. No, like, I really <laughs> need to tell you this. You need to listen to me. I like, it can feel like this sense of urgency. I know. But you know what the beautiful thing is? It's not just like, you can do anything. It's like, no, you can do what is actually really meaningful to you. And it's not easy. It's not just like, oh, you can do anything. It's easy. It's like, no, you, I actually really believe in you as a person. And I really believe that you are deserving of having a life that feels really good to you. And I know that there are things you can do to move toward it. There's no end goal. There's no like, I'm not like in some moment of Zen transcendence where I never criticize myself or feel bad about myself, right? I mean, I'm a mom. I have two children. I have days when I snap at them or I'm not like the kind of mom I wanted to be and I'm down on myself and I have to really work at like, okay, what are my tools? Let me bring them in here and let me reset and let me try again and do better. And it's it's an ongoing thing. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes and the more you can move toward feeling better more of the time. Totally. Well, I think one thing that's so important for the women who listen here is like this idea of limiting beliefs. And I think especially in a like a work setting, like a nine to five, oh, it's so easy for those beliefs to run wild. And I could list out like 30 limiting beliefs about meetings and how you need to be and what you should say. And it's sort of like, if you're willing to do the work to test the belief, which means you need to do and say something scary and you need to feel uncomfortable, but you do that one time and then you can have an entire paradigm shift where you're like, well, that one thing that I thought was true, like that I'm not supposed to speak in this meeting or if I say something, no one's going to care. Like that's not true. What else isn't true? Exactly. And that's, the, that's kind of the thing when you start doing this kind of work on yourself. It opens up this whole other world like, wow, I'm actually not trapped in this paradigm anymore. You know, I used to think I could never, I had no time to read. I had no time to work out. And that was just, it was what it was. I didn't have the time. And then, because I have kids and I'm, you know, have my own little business here and I'm trying to do, I'm trying to write, and I, you know, and then I just realized, okay, that was something I thought I didn't make it true. And now I read and work out every day because I just challenged that thought. Ooh, tell us what that looked like, because I'm sure a lot of people have the thought of I don't have time. And it, and that thought feels so real. Oh, it does, because we do. We are. I mean, <laughs> you know, I can't speak to the male experience, right? My experience as a woman and particularly as a mother with kids and my kids are still relatively young is it is all day. <laughs> OK, it is a 24 hour gig. Um, and then when you're working, if you're working and you have like a corporate job, you're working all day long. Right. You are exhausted when you get home. What All of that, it feels like there's zero time. But what I have realized is that we make time for what is a priority for us. And when I didn't value myself and my own experience, the only things I made time for were sort of like guilty pleasures like watching reality TV or, you know, staying up too late or something like that. And when I started valuing myself and being like, okay, no, I'm going to stand up for my needs now. I'm not only going to be of service to my family. I'm not going to sacrifice myself. I'm, I, I have needs. And in order for me to live a life that feels good, I need to use my brain every day and I need to move my body every day. And it was coming from that perspective of like, I'm standing up for myself and I'm doing what is right for me 
that's when I felt ownership of it. When I was like, oh, I should work out. And oh, I should be reading. And I was what I like to call shitting all over myself. That's when that it didn't feel good. And so I didn't really want to do it. But when I approach it from a perspective, of like I'm empowering myself to have the best life possible. And part of that is moving my body for me. I love dancing. So I dance every day. And I read, you know, five to 10 minutes, like one chapter of a book while I drink my coffee every day. As if I can, if there are days when my kids are driving me nuts and I can't, that's okay. And I can say, I'll try again tomorrow. Uh, but I make space for it every day because it's become a priority for me. Oh my gosh, that's so motivating. It feels so good to hear you say that you changed the way that you looked at that. And also, isn't it fascinating how your perception of time and relationship with time was very tightly linked to your self-worth? Well, it's huge. And I think I think we're just, again, we have this idea that everything has to be productivity or service. And anything else is selfish or anything else is on the bottom of the priority list. And it's just not true. And it really doesn't serve us. And it makes us resentful and exhausted and burnt out. And then we can't really be as good at our job as we want to be. We definitely can't be as present with our kids as we want to be because we're resentful and burnt out. And that's how I used to feel all the time. I would just feel exhausted and frustrated. And, you know, I couldn't even enjoy the fun things with my kids because I was so burnt out from not being able to take care of myself. And how do you feel now? Like, when did you implement that shift? And how do you feel now? So a couple of years ago, I just noticed that I was just, you know, it, it was, you know, it's like right around the same, the same time that I started coaching. For me, embodying this part of my brain and my personality really is important to my whole sense of self. And for a few years, I was completely subjugating that part of myself and only focusing on making sure my kids were okay. And at, and at first, that kind of worked for me, but it's not sustainable. You know, <laughs> you can't just sacrifice yourself for other people and be okay. And at a certain point, I started to notice I'm resentful. And I'm a generally very positive person. And I was just like, resentful and tired and like, you know, and snappy. And then I was like, I don't, this is not who I, how I want to feel all the time. And so I just started to pay attention to when I was feeling like that. And I was like, okay, I'm not getting sleep because I'm, you know, like letting my kids like just like claw on me all night. I, I had no boundaries, you know, I'm not showering very often. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, little by little, I said, okay, you know what? I need to enjoy this life because I literally only have this one. And I also looked at my kids. I have a boy and a girl. And I thought, what do I want them to think it means to be an adult woman? Do I want them to think it means that to be an adult woman, you sacrifice all your needs and only serve others and are resentful about it? Is that what I want them to look forward to as adults? <laughs> and it wasn't. And I was like, and it's not what I want to look forward to as an adult either. So I just started to make little changes, little things, you know, demanding that my kids sleep in their own room. That sounds easy. It's really not easy. But I, but then again, there was, I broke it down into little steps, right? You know, demanding that I have time for myself, making, demanding that I have reconnect with my professional purpose, all of those things. I had to stand up for them for myself. And I have a wonderful husband. He's a really good partner, but it's not like he's going to just say, Hey, why don't you stand up for your, all your needs? I had to be the one to say, look, this situation is not working for me anymore. This is what I need to happen. And this is how I need you to help me. And I would say it in a calm, respectful way. Um, but I just, you know, I had to start standing up for myself 
And then I felt free. Oh my gosh. And now you help other people do that. Yes. And as I started doing it, I'm like, oh no, we all need to be doing this. (laughs) And what I really want is to help moms just understand how valuable and important they are. And, you know, you can kind of get into it with moms by saying, well, you will be a better mom and your kids will be better served by you being like a, a fully embodied, alive, energized person. But I kind of hate that because I don't want it to be because of your kids. I want it to be because of you because you are valuable and you are meaningful. You were a kid once and now you're an adult and you have just as much value now as you did then. Just like when your children are grown up, I want someone to tell them how valuable they are. You know, so I kind of don't like that paradigm of doing things for yourself because it benefits your kids. I see it benefiting your kids as a wonderful side effect. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's like you're sneakily bringing it back to that belief system. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we're going to go into my favorite part, which is the closing questions. But first, I want to hear what it's like to work with you and where everyone can find you. And I'll do a quick scan to see if there are any other questions that we didn't get to before we close out. But yeah, so tell us um, what it is like to coach with you and where people can get in touch. Well, I would like to think it's very fun to coach with me. <laughs> it um, is. I've coached I was going to say, you could probably tell them what it's like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, no, you know, um, I like to create a space that is incredibly safe, that is warm, completely non judgmental. Um, I like to laugh with my clients, you know, at appropriate times. And, um, and just a place where that's all about you. Um, for women, that might feel uncomfortable, but it's actually really, really essential. So working with me means you have a space that is about you and understanding what your needs are and your passions are and finding what makes you feel just invigorated and alive and working towards there and working really lovingly, but realistically on what is keep getting in your way. And I do provide gentle accountability. I'm great at noticing patterns in that people might not notice for themselves. Um, and I think that I develop really beautiful partnerships with people um, when they're in a space where they're ready to work on those things. Oh, I love that. And where can people find you? Um, so I have a website. It's hannahrudnickcoaching.com. It's, Rudnick is R-U-D-N-I-C-K. I know it sounds like redneck, but it's Rudnick. <laughs> and then um, I'm pretty active on Instagram during the week and on the weekend because that's my boundary. Uh, and I'm at Hannah underscore Rudnick underscore coaching on Instagram. Amazing. And I'll put all your info in the show notes. And I'm going to fold. Can I fold a couple of mom questions into the closing questions? Please. I love mom questions. So first, I'm going to ask you the regular version of one of the questions, then we'll do the mom version. Can you give everyone one very simple piece of advice that they can take into their professional lives to help them feel more empowered? Yes. Create mantras. Ooh. So... If you're struggling with confidence um, in speaking up, create a mantra for that. I love mantras. I love creating them. I used to think they were silly, and now I use them all the time. And again, they feel uncomfortable at first. For So, for example, if your negative critical thought is, oh, I, I can't speak up. Everyone's going to think what I say is stupid. Your mantra will be, my voice is important and my voice is powerful. And you will say it to yourself every time you have that limiting belief. And you will write it on a post-it note and put it on your computer or you will write it on your hand or whatever you need to do and say it over and over again. And the more you say it, the more you create that neural pathway in your brain that believes that it's true and then it is true. Because actually it is true already. 
Yeah, you just don't think it's true. It's so crazy how what we think, we think that what we think is true is true. Yes. <laughs> but that is not the case. Our brains are tricky little things, aren't they? <laughs> oh, they are very tricky. Um, and now I specifically want some words of encouragement or advice or whatever you want to share for um, women in corporate who are also moms or becoming moms. I just want to hear like all of your best wisdom for them. Well, I think, you know, first of all, you're doing great. Okay. If you're a mom and you're in the corporate world, if you're a mom and you're not in the corporate world, if you're in the corporate world and you'd like to become a mother, whatever it is, you're doing great. Being a mother is difficult. Becoming a mother is difficult. It is very, very hard. It's beautiful. And we, we can all talk about that, but it's also really difficult. Um, and I just want to say that take a moment and think about what you, when you think of what is a mom, what is that to you? Like Jessica, when I say, what is a mom in your mind? What do you, what do you think of? Like, what is a mom supposed to be like? I had a very stereotypical association of a minivan <laughs> and soccer. Exactly. We're supposed to carry all the baggage. <laughs> yeah, but that's not what I truly think. Yeah. Yes. No, like what I, <laughs> I think a mom is a woman who has done something brave. That's like more what my truer self thinks. And it's the specific thing of having a child. But that right there is exactly what I would hope we'll all do, which is that first thing that pops into your head, which is a mom is supposed to be perfect or a mom is supposed to have a minivan. Although I actually really want a minivan, but that's it. <laughs> or a mom is supposed to sacrifice herself. Whatever that first thing that is just not real and just comes from TV or your parents or whatever let that go and then settle into your true self and say, what does it mean to me to be a mom? And how can I lean into that? And I don't, you know, I, that there's the whole lean in thing about how mom, you're just supposed to work twice as hard so you can be twice as successful and all this stuff. I don't, I don't roll with that. I think that we all are human and we all have limitations and we all have a certain amount of energy and protecting that is actually super brave. And so you have to find what balance looks like for you, not for what your colleagues or a book or, you know, your parents or whoever says, but what does a work-life balance look like for you? What feels good to you? What makes you come alive, right? And, and, and take all the judgment and the criticism and the mom guilt out of it and find something that actually really works rather than, you know, as I love to say, shitting all over yourself, right? Rather than making a life based on what you're supposed to do, make a life that is meaningful for you and your family and your children will be best served by seeing a mom who loves her life because that's how they will think of life when they grow up because our kids become who they're around. And for the second to last question, it's about the title of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. So I love to ask everyone what that means to them. Okay, so two things come up for me. One is, of course, I think about women and moms, right? And it just means speaking up for yourself. Like I talked about with my experience, I spent a long time not speaking up and 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 saying all these things in my head and grumbling, you know? Um, and it's actually a really powerful experience to speak up for your needs. Be like, no, I need to sleep. I need, I need to have time off right now because my kid's sick. I, and speak up and say, no, my life, my experience as a woman, my experience as a mother is important. And the world needs to figure that out. But I'm not going to bend myself into all these pretzel shapes to make everyone else comfortable. 
instead, you know, at work, if you need to leave early to go to your kid's soccer game, I need to leave. I'm still going to get my work done. See you later. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, if you need to say, you know what, I need a break from these kids, say it. I need a break from these kids. And then that prevents the, I snapped at my kids because I was too (laughs) exhausted, right? So speak up for yourself and what you need. And not in a violent way, but in an assertive way. I need this because my sanity, my physical and mental health is important. So that's the one thing. And the other thing I think is really important is to speak up for each other. You know, I talk a lot about patriarchy and feminism because that's sort of the space I embody. But there are a lot of other problems in the world, you know. And I think when it comes to racism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia, all of the things that are going on in this world... It is our job to say something about it, even if it feels uncomfortable, even if we're not experts and we don't know everything. Um, if you notice someone is being hurt, someone's like essential human dignity is being attacked. I really believe that it's our job to say something. And whatever you say doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be, you know, it, you can mess up. But to stay quiet in those situations, I think, is the worst thing that we can do. Thank you so much, Hannah. I loved your answer. And for the final question... So this question came from where the show came from. So when I started my career, I had this horrible, very prolonged adjustment period <laughs> where I was stressed out and I my self-confidence was very low and I could not find like any mentors who made me feel like things were possible for me. And I created this show to speak to women who might find themselves experiencing some version of not feeling great or searching for empowerment and not finding it. And so I always give this last space to the guest to share whatever you want that person to hear. Mm, it's so funny because that's exactly how I got into this, but with motherhood, right? because I needed that. I wanted to fill that space too. So one of my favorite quotes of all time, which is my dad said to me growing up, um, which is from Howard Thurman, who's a theologian, but he said, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. So what I want to say, particularly to moms who feel like maybe they've lost that feeling of being alive and being, you know, embodying that spirit of, of coming alive is, you know, don't spend time asking what everyone else around you needs you to be and and really ask yourself, what do I need to be? What am I meant to be? And spend time just getting to know yourself and 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 pulling out all of those expectations, that inner critic, all that stuff that we've internalized about what we're supposed to be. Pull that out and get to know who you really, really are. Because when you move from there, the things that you do feel better. And I just believe that all human beings deserve love and and respect and safety and decency. And that means you too. And that means me too. So all the things that you believe that that people in the world deserve, believe that for yourself and get to know yourself well enough to know what it is you need and what it is makes you really, really come alive. And if you need help with that, reach out for help. We are a community of people. People need other people. Find your circle, find your people. If you need a coach, reach out for a coach. But, you know, with moms, find that mom crew. I've got mine. And it's really, really important to to get to know yourself and then really reach out for support. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you. This is so fun. Thank you for tuning in. You've made it to the end. And this was such a good one. 
So many things in here resonated with me. And also I hope all this stuff about being a mom and all of the mom-focused conversation was helpful for those of you who are moms or thinking of becoming moms or about to become moms. I also loved how Hannah talked so much about chasing that feeling of aliveness and figuring out what makes you feel alive. And I think about that a lot. And sometimes I think about that in the context of our struggles and the things that are hard for us, because obviously, like, aliveness sounds like this wonderful, amazing thing that we want to go get. And one thought that I wanted to share with you to remind you of to bring you back to is that sometimes the most potent feelings of aliveness comes from experiences that have richness to them. And richness means that they're hard and they're good. They're bad and they're good. It's sort of like in cooking when you are layering in flavors. Like if something is just like really, really sweet, it's not that great, or really, really salty, it's not that great. But when you have all of these layers of like different flavors, then you have something that is like so wonderful and such an amazing experience. And that's how I think about aliveness. It's not just that something feels so good and so amazing, but sometimes aliveness comes from facing something that's really hard. It comes from overcoming something that was really felt really big and scary for you. And the reason that I want to remind you that is just because I want you to see that some of the things in front of you that you might be struggling with, that might feel difficult, that might feel hard, while they're obviously not fun, and while we obviously don't want to struggle, I want to remind you of the feeling of what it feels like to be at the other end of your struggle, and to get past the thing that was hard for you. And it's never about the accolades that you get from other people. It's about what you feel inside you when you have that knowledge and you have that inner knowing that you showed up for the thing that was hard and you faced the thing that was hard, even though maybe a part of you was scared and didn't want to and wanted to back out or whatever the situation was. It's that knowing that you showed up for it and got to the other side that often brings you that sense of aliveness. So I just wanted to remind you that because if there's something that you are having troubles with, remember that showing up for it and giving it your best, even if it's your imperfect best, right? It doesn't have to be perfect, but often that is what is going to bring you to that place of feeling alive and feeling your own power and showing yourself that you can do things that maybe your mind thought were too hard for you to do. There are few feelings like that feeling, and I want you to go out and chase that and find that if that is something that's important to you. A big thanks to Hannah for coming on the show. I'm going to put her website, hannahrudnickcoaching.com, and her Instagram down in the show notes so that you can reach out to her, get to know her work. I brought her on the show because I was so inspired by her warmth and her presence and her knowledge, and it was a joy to talk with her. I've spent time coaching with her. She and I coached each other quite a bit in our coach training, and so I can really vouch that she is so warm and so welcoming, and it was a joy for me to get to spend time with her, and I definitely recommend checking out her work if you're feeling curious. That brings us to the end. I hope that you're doing well. We've been in this pandemic for a while. I'm definitely still kind of feeling it. If you are too, just keep going and be super, super easy on yourself. I feel like this is a time for us to go easy on ourselves and to be extra forgiving and to allow lots and lots of room to be messy and human and imperfect. 
All right, I'm going to sign off. Thank you for tuning in. Catch you next week for a solo episode and have a wonderful, wonderful day. All right, bye.